Kurt, thank you so much for joining to talk over your story. And um, when we initially got together and, and talked about your interview, it was very clear that um, the focus of this was stepping into your purpose. You ready? Thank you. Yes. Thank you very much, Jacqueline, for having me on. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my story, my journey, and kind of where I see it, kind of uh, my lessons learned helping other people in the future. So what age were you when you decided to join the Army? Um, I kind of knew in high school that that's I, I was leaning that route to go towards either the Army or the Navy. Um, I wanted to be a SEAL, uh, but the Navy wouldn't take me. I kind of had a colorful juvenile history uh, with the legal system. So uh, I went and the Army was the only branch that was willing to take me at the time. And then you went in as a combat engineer and, and you transferred into a, a medical uh, yeah. component. Why did you want to go into combat medic? Um, so the combat engineer job was really fun. I got to actually partake in a very unique project. We, we started one of the first canine engineer programs uh, through the Royal Army Vet Corps. And as much as I liked working with dogs and the capabilities that we added to the battlefield, um, it was very repetitive, very monotone. There wasn't a lot of uh, diversity in training opportunities. Uh, I kind of got really bored. So um, I, want, I made the decision to go to SFAS, Special Forces Assessment and Selection, and that's when I transitioned over to being a medic. Um, I had to pick the hardest job to transition into. I couldn't have just went and been a, combat, uh, another, <laughs> a Special Forces engineer. I had to choose the, the two-year pipeline. Wow. And is that a, is that something you commonly do? You, you decide to go hard versus easy? Against the grain all my life. Against really? the grain. Why is that, do you think? Um, I think it's the internal challenges and the, the adaption that it forces me to take. Because if I don't challenge myself, then I'm never really going to find out what I'm truly capable of. My final unit, I was promised a position to go to the hospital. I wanted to transition out of combat front lines and I wanted to go try to transition into being a physician assistant. Um, and part of that required that I had a broader spectrum of medical adaptability. I, I'd only experienced emergency medicine. Uh, for the IPAP program, they wanted to see that you can operate within a clinic, within um, a normal hospital setting. Um, I re-enlisted under the pretenses that I was going to be going there. And as soon as I re-enlisted, the uh, sergeant major of the unit that I was in called me up to his office, said that they had put a fence up on medics, that I wasn't going anywhere to get comfortable. And that was one of the major things that led towards me making a decision to get out of service. Um, so you transitioned out and you wanted to go into, um, into civilian medicine. And did that happen? No, I went back to, I was going to Methodist University in preparations to go through the physician assistant program. Um, I really enjoyed working within the orthopedic medicine realm and sports medicine. So that's where I felt like I was gearing up to go. At the time I was uh, training to be a power lifter. I went on and did a couple powerlifting meets and I felt like things were going really well. And then they wanted me to repeat a class that I've already done three times, which was anatomy and physiology. 
so I kind of, at that point, the, uh, I, I had another job opportunity fall in my lap as working within the medical realm, but overseas with the embassy as a security forces medic. And I took that and that was kind of where I felt like my path was taking me. It was getting me back close to the fight. I was kind of missing it at the time. I was missing being around my brothers in arms and being in that environment and carrying, carrying that kind of uh, responsibility, like knowing that if something happened, their lives were in my hands. Um, mm. I, I kind of missed that. You don't shy away from, um, from paths that are, that are difficult, that challenge you, but you, you do recognize when you're on the wrong path because the, the obstacle, it doesn't feel right. How could you, yeah. how can you explain that difference between I'm on the right path and it's hard and it's worth it versus I'm on the wrong path because this is, it shouldn't be this difficult. Man, that's, that's a really good question. I, I don't, I'm not quite sure how to answer that right off the top of my head. Gut feeling, I guess would be the easiest way. And then as I started to walk closer with Christ, it, it there was, there's little things that line up like, uh, should we repair this car and sell it, you know, and the repair bills, the money for those repair bills was handed to us in a Christmas present. It was like these, when, when the path lines up, you can almost feel like things are sinking up, even when you feel like you're going against the grain. It's not like you're going against the grain in every way, like I've been doing my entire life. Right. That's a really good way to explain it. Mm -hmm. If it's the right path, then you're getting those tools, much like car repair is in the form of a Christmas present. You will get the tools and resources required to overcome. God it's not doesn't be easy. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And I think when we surrender to those, um, those feelings like this feels like the way to go. And even when we don't believe it's possible, if we follow that notion, if it's the right way to go, things will work themselves out. There's going to be something there to kind of, give you a little breadcrumb almost in life that says, this is, this is the right way. This is the way that I want you to go. This is, this is closer towards your purpose. This is closer towards what I had intended for you. Mm. And being able to, being able to see those tools and use those tools, you don't feel so alone. So even though you're overcoming and you're pushing through and you're continuing movement, you're not getting depleted. Yeah, you're, you're feeling renewed at the same time, that, that victory inside, it, it, it's kind of like when you have that victory in, in combat, you know, it's, it's that morale boost, you feel it, like, I don't know, and like, like you said, when I was going down the wrong path, when I was trying to force myself back into the medical world, nothing ever felt like it was lining up for me down that road, and I felt yeah. like I was forcing myself to fit into that role. And when I stopped trying to force myself to fit into that role, it felt more natural and things started lining up. Now I'm running a business and um, I'm hiring veterans and we're training veterans and active duty around us. We're doing a lot of really great things, things that I never thought I would do had I would have went into medicine. So you're overseas and you're, you're going down the, the medical route. Um, at what what was that defining moment? Did it happen when you were overseas? Did it happen when you came back, when you finished that contract? I was getting more joy out of coming home because I was getting to be in my shop. And mm -hmm. 
it got, again, God has ways of, of removing the things that are unnecessary that are distracting us from our purpose when we're willing to look at them that way. I got injured and at the time it was very depressing for me. I, it kind of set me back mentally. I remember crying on the couch, you know, like I, I, here I went, I went from being an accomplished power lifter. At one point I was ranked top 25 in the nation for my bench press and my weight class and division to not even being able to get up and go to the gym. It was, it was life altering. Um, and it was a forced kind of transition, you know, but I could have kept toughing it out. I could have kept throwing the pharmacological agents on there and going back overseas and struggling it out for three and a half months at a time. But I, I, I came home one time and my wife asked me, Hey, can, can you stop doing this now? I'd like to have you home. And that's when we, we sat down and we looked at what we had saved up and we looked at the options in front of us and, and becoming an entrepreneur and stepping out into the woodworking realm and following my father and my grandfather seemed to be uh, realistic. Now it, it wasn't a dream anymore. It was something that, you know, I can devote time towards. Was woodworking and, and doing what you do now always a dream for you, even when you were younger? No. So I actually ran from woodworking. I didn't want, my dad had told me growing up, like you're, you need to go get, go get a college degree. So you don't have to work as hard as me. Um, and I kind of didn't feel like that was my road. Um, nine 11 happened. I ran away. I joined the army and I didn't, I came home and I was still helping my dad out in the shop. So I was still gaining experience and being immersed in the, in, in the environment and stuff like that. But I never thought that woodworking would be my dream until I realized that woodworking was what brought me the grounding that I needed to recover from a lot of the things that I went through. Um, you, do, you can't run from them when you're hiding in your shop because if you try to run from them, you see it in your final product. You, you see the errors because you're not fully attentive to what you're doing. Um, and woodworking has taught me a good peace of mind. And, and through that experience of seeing what it had done for my mind, that, that's when entrepreneurship kind of became that dream. Like my family had the been blessed enough that when my grandfather passed away, I had inherited some entry-level tooling, um, enough for me to start gaining the practical application and experience uh, and working with wood again after service. And it just, like we, it just seemed to line up. It, it slowly went from, I, I could see this as being a hobby to, man, this is a business. I need to hire somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so when you started woodworking and it's forcing you to work through some of those um, mental blocks that you have and emotional blocks that you have so that those don't come into your final product. How long was the, the roughest part of that journey for you? First, when did you start realizing that, that woodworking and working with your hands and being in the shop was making you confront these things? When did that happen? And then how long did the brunt of it last for you to get to this point? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm still fighting it every day today. So I, and I'm, I'm still in the brunt of it because it never really gets easier. Uh, I find it a lot easier to go back to wanting to think those negative thoughts than it is to overcome those negative thoughts at some time. So it, it never gets easier. The, I think that 
the fight gets harder because he knows that we're capable of handling a harder fight. You know what I mean? The battle becomes a little mm -hmm. bit more worth fighting. Um, but I would say I started to realize that the major portion of the value of what woodworking was doing for me in, in late 2017. Um, this was around the time when I started reaching out, trying to get help in overcoming, overcoming my chronic pain. Um, for years before, uh, for about a year before that, I was kind of buried in that, that loss of purpose. I had come out of the contracting world where I'd been kind of, again, respected for who I was and what I had accomplished. And, what I'd done throughout my service to being a nobody again. I can't even work out in the gym anymore. And I'd get up and I found joy in those moments that I could stay on my feet to work with wood for the limited amount of time. Um, I went to a, a healing retreat in early of 2018. And it was there that I think it, something switched inside my mind that I'm going to be in pain, perpetual pain, regardless of what I do. So if I'm going to be in pain, I might as well have a purpose for my pain. And that was where I kind of shifted my mindset. And it was something else that I had heard from a doctor. There's, there's two ways to treat your pain. We can either cover it up with medicine or you can learn to increase your serotonin production and overcome this naturally. You know, I, I prefer that you use the latter, but if you need the medication, let me know we will prescribe it. And I wasn't willing to go back down that medication route because it had almost torn me away from my family after I separated from service. So I, I decided that if, if I got joy out of woodworking and I can somehow make that, that woodworking my purpose, my next mission, so to speak, if I can overcome the physical pain when I was in service because I felt like the purpose, the mission was worth it, then I can make that same transition in my mindset to applying that towards woodworking. And I've been doing that ever since. Um, there's not a day that goes by where I'm not in pain and some days are worse than others. But at the end of the day, I can get up, I can lay down on the couch and I can go, man, I created something today. So even though I was in pain, I had a worthwhile purpose. And I, that was, I mean, it's been a two year long journey and it's it, even today, like we're talking and there's still like I'm, new things are just like clicking in my head. Like why? I like layers and layers and layers of things that God's been revealing to me throughout the last two years has been almost clarified through this interview a little bit. Like I felt like I've been able to articulate some of these things better with you in this discussion than I've been able to uh, with other people in the past. So thank you for that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's probably the highest compliment. Thank you so much for that. Oh, I really appreciate that. This is amazing. Um, you, you started actually advertising Ballish Woodworks uh, in, in 2018. In 2018, yes. That and was... The pieces that you're creating, I honestly have not seen that quality and the beauty of... <laughs> of your pieces anywhere, anywhere else. And, um, I attribute it because I come from a line of woodworkers, my grandfather, my dad. Um, <laughs> and I, I think there's a nostalgia. I, I see your pieces and I see them just that quality. You, you can tell that you've spent time on it and you've yeah. invested in it. And, um, you can see the joy that, 
that you have for it come out in your products. But I can't imagine that when you decided 2018, I'm rebranding, I'm doing Ballish Woodworks, we're doing this, that it just took off. <laughs> I went through about nine months of where I went back and forth on this emotional roller coaster coming inside and telling my wife, I think I should give this up. Um, and her reassuring me. And then I'd come inside the next day and I'd be like, I can't believe it. I got another job. And when I needed the jobs, somehow they were there. Um, just enough to make sure the bills were paid. Um, you know, and I guess that's one of the mindsets that I had going into it from the beginning is that I, I, I don't need a lot. I just need enough to pay the gap. It was about late 2018 when I realized the power of networking and getting out and meeting people because before then I was hiding behind a logo. But I had a talk with a gentleman, uh, Robert Garcia. We got on the phone for about 30 minutes and he talked to me. He said, listen, man, you got to stop hiding behind your brand. You got to get your face out there. You got to talk to people. You got to relate to people. You got to tell your story because people aren't buying your goods because you're they look nice. They're buying their, your, your stuff because they want to support you. They want to support your story. They want to support your path, your journey, your purpose. And that was late 2018. So even after the rebrand, it was about nine, 10 months of like very inconsistent, unsteady, occasional work. But I just, I kept doing every job just as diligently as I've, I do them to this day. I mean, it's like pouring your soul into every piece. You, you want people to see you in what you create, not just see what you create. Knowing it'll never be perfect and understanding that even knowing that I can still do my best to get it there. Yeah. And even though it's not going to be perfect and you know that, you also know that it's still going to be beautiful. I try to get people to appreciate that and the only way I can do it is by pouring my passion, pouring my heart into every piece that I create because at the end of the day, someone's going to look at it and they're either going to go, hmm, or they're going to go, hmm. You know, there's a big difference there. And <laughs> and I, with that I, I, slight I like when eyebrow. At it, yeah. <laughs> when somebody looks at my piece, I want them to feel the same joy in owning it as I felt in creating it. I think you're ahead of the game because it's more about how people are feeling about their purchases and what they're surrounding themselves with and how it speaks to them. And you're kind of ahead of that. You're doing that naturally. Well, think about like, if you, if you go back and you think about what you might inherit, you usually inherit your grandparents' furniture. Somewhere along the line, some, your grandmother's given up her, her table. And I got my mahogany table, my grandmother's mahogany table made in 1946 sitting out in the garage right now. I got no room for it because it's that big. But you look at it and it was made with real wood. It was made by craftsmen at the time, American furniture makers, things that were nice. And that you create memories around that table. My cousin and I were just having this conversation the other day. Like, you remember sitting down at grandma's table and having to clean off the entire thing? Like, yeah, I remember that. But you remember the spaghetti that we got to eat? Well, because we spent cleaned off her table. Like, so when you think about those quality crafted pieces. Those are pieces that you create memories around that your family is formed around that later on down the road, they're not just a piece of furniture. They're part of the family almost like 
I'm telling my wife, like, what are we going to do with this table? I can't throw it away. I can't do anything with it. Like, it's too big for our home. What are we going to do with this? And she's like, well, is there anybody else in the family that wants it? Like, I literally cannot bring myself to get rid of this table because so many emotional memories are attached to that table. And I think that's when, when you start getting people to understand that that's what they're buying, they're really investing in in those memories and holding on to those memories versus a table that's going to end up at the curbside broken in three pieces because somebody leaned on the leg too hard. Like Mm -hmm. you don't want that. You want, it's like you pass away and your grandkids are like, well, no, I want his table. No, I want his table. I'd rather hear that than I didn't want that table. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, I do. Somebody go do something with that table. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do. And you're so right because I have a tea table. I pulled myself up on that table learning how to walk. And yeah. I got to watch my son pull himself up and my nephews pull himself up and play with the things that were on the table. And every scratch and every imperfection, every nick is one that us kids had made. We're all yeah. in it together. And I still have it. You're absolutely, uh, you almost brought me to tears because you're absolutely right. It's, it's amazing what kind of memories just a piece of furniture can bring up and, and the way it can make you feel. And I think that, uh, you know, that's one of the things that, and I did a post about it recently on social media. Um, I dropped off a table this past weekend at a customer's house and within moments of leaving he had sent me a picture of his wife and his son sitting down to play a game of war at it. Like Mm -hmm. that's their first memory at that table. Like he comes in the house and they're playing a card game at it within minutes. Like to me, that's, that's the most gratifying thing I can possibly achieve is, is knowing that my table has become the center of what's going to create generational memories. Up and coming generations, we're starting to see the value in that stuff again. So Mm -hmm. I think that we're at the beginning edge of this. Um, I just read another news article that was saying the furniture industry is coming back to America. Um, So there's there's a lot of signs that are showing in a reemergence of what's needed in trade skills, not just woodworking, but across all trades. I, I mean, I understand that woodworking did all this great things for me, but for somebody else, it might be making music. It might be painting Mm -hmm. a picture. It might be taking a picture. It might be creating a wallet, whatever it is for that person that gives them a purpose. I think that's what's important for them to follow, you know, and if you can connect them with that, then that's kind of where what they create becomes truly about the passion and the joy and, and, those products like you see in, in the things that I create. I, there's so many other people that I look at their products and you can see the same quality and attention to detail and craftsmanship and what they create, even though it's not wood related. <laughs> and you decided it's time to teach others. For me specifically, the woodworking teaching aspect has been my way of teaching people to find their purpose, find their next mission working with our hands when our minds are cluttered and our thoughts are loud by being able to concentrate on something else and keep our hands busy, you're giving people a minute to quiet and, and be present in the moment so that they can, is your hope that they're, they're recalibrating, that they're recentering so that they're able to start thinking about what's next other than what's happened. You can, you can think or not think throughout the process. You can, you can internalize and work through those issues or you cannot. I mean, 
just because you pick up woodworking doesn't mean that you're going to start approaching those issues, nor does it automatically equate to you're going to start pursuing and, and trying to resolve those issues. But I think that through my experience, I found that the more I worked through those issues, the more patience I developed with my trade, which allowed me to see a greater return in quality on my trade. To this day, there's days where I go out in the shop and things just aren't aligning that day. I, I'm, there's something going wrong in my head and I'm not able to get beyond that. So it distracts me and I see it at the end of the day. You know, maybe the wood that I created that day and shaped down isn't perfectly straight. Maybe it's off a 64th of an inch over four feet. And it's like, I see it. Nobody else will see it, but I see it. And I know exactly why it was there. It was because I was distracted and I wasn't approaching and dealing with those issues and going back and closing out that conversation that needed to be closed out. So I think my portion of it is trying to let people understand that this is a way that you can approach those issues and work through those issues um, while finding a purpose. But the more that you work through those issues, the more calm your mind gets and the better your product will become. Man, I keep calling them issues, but I don't even know if they're issues. But they, to imply that they're issues almost means like we need healing, like we're broken, there's something wrong with us. And I don't think that's it. I think that sometimes like the type of people that join the military are driven, they're goal oriented. And when we get out, we don't have that, that goal. We lose that greater mission. We lose that, that sense of purpose because we're not doing anything. Even when we're doing something, it doesn't matter. Like I was... I, I was reading another article recently. It's like, how can the, the normal rigors of life ever live up to the living that we did while we were at war? You know, everybody feels so alive while you're at war because you're living so close to death. So when you come home, it's like everything is like inconsequential. Like, does this really matter? And I think that the woodworking and, and all that is meant to inspire that, that purpose, that passion, drive that inside of them to let them realize that when you transition out of service, it doesn't have to be the end of your mission. You need to find your next mission. And our mission is to, my mission is to empower entrepreneurs through the trade skills so they can go home and become community leaders and use what they learned in the military to lead and better their community. Well, do you, do you recognize how powerful it is that you, you yourself, Kurt, is doing the teaching and your artisan outreach is not them learning a hobby or, or learning the fundamentals or, or hopefully working through something. But do you recognize what a powerful force you yourself are and how much influence, positive influence that you're going to have on those that cross paths with you? I'm getting there and I'm starting to realize the gravity of what is taking place. Um, it's still kind of new. Um, so through my transition, I felt like I had fallen so far, but through the rise back, right, through, through kind of climbing back up out of the fox over the, the, the grave, so to speak, because I felt like I was just waiting to die. You rise above that and you kind of overcome. And through that story, that overcome story, you can inspire and lead other people to overcome their individual journeys. And that's, the more I realize that the more I overcome, the more inspirational and the more 
impact it's going to have on others. Again, it's not about bringing them into woodworking. It's it's about that dialogue that happens, that that helping them find their next mission. And I, I've been really trying to stay away from that healing word and those issues a little bit, just because I don't think that there's anything really wrong with us. I think right. that we just we just need something purposeful to latch on to and to pour our, all of our energies into. A lot of us are type A personalities. We're go-getters, willing to adapt and overcome many adversities. And it's, it's inbred in us to be entrepreneurs. If, if not us, then who? Put yourself where you are passionate about being and serving in that, that area because that passion will lead to being successful. When, when you're passionate about something, like you're passionate about talking, you're passionate about talking to people and bringing their story and sharing their stories. And you can tell the way that um, just the process of getting on your show, it was very professional. You can tell that you want, this is your baby, like woodworking is my baby. So when you deal with other people that are passionate about what they do, you can see and connect with them instantly, whether or not you're in the same industry. We can all bounce each other ideas off each other because we kind of both understand that our minds don't work the same. They don't have to work the same, right. but it's that collaboration that can spark so much creativity. And that's kind of the, the core concept of the artisans outreach is if we bring all these creative craft artisans together the collaboration that is going to happen within those walls. And the, I mean, I'm one man. You put six people like me in the same building, all with their individual trades, and you got them passionate about their trades. Think about the synergy that's going to happen in those walls and the difference that we can make within the community. So Artisan Outreach, this is going to be a nonprofit for you. Um, where are you at in that, in that process? Like where are, where are you at in getting six more people like you in a building because wow the the impact that that's going to have like you said across lines yeah. is a, is going to be amazing so we've just set up the actual uh incorporation or corporation however it's phrased legally for the artisans outreach we submitted for our ein and we're currently going through the bylaws portion and the organizational documents required to submit the 1023 easy to the irs so we can actually get verified as a nonprofit. right now we're just a company um uh, the only thing that distinguishes us from a non or for-profit company is that little IRS verification letter that we would get back. And based off of what we're trying to do, we don't anticipate any hiccups there. Um, I'm working with, I got a core group of two other advisors. There's three of us plus my wife that work together on kind of creating the, the core idea of the Artisans Outreach as well as the Artisans Mill, which is kind of this overreaching umbrella of a company. Um, but the Artisans Outreach has been kind of this conceptualized idea for the last two years that we've just kind of put into motion officially. Um, we are 
Bellishwood Works is getting ready to take lead on renting out a place with about 4,000 square feet. We're going to have a blacksmith, a knife maker, come join the collaborative effect. He's donating a forge, a power press, a power roller, a couple CNC machines to the cause. Um, we have a wood carver that's interested in coming on board and a wood refinisher that's interested in coming on board. So we got a lot of the wood elements covered. Um, we're starting to get into the metalworking and welding industries with the guy that's coming on board. Um, what we're looking at doing in the future, quarterly we're bringing down a leather worker to, into our space to do some classes. Um, and we're also teaming up with uh, another gentleman that might be doing some wood turning and uh, additional outreach in coinciding with us here around Fort Bragg. Um, what we would like to see and what we're trying to push for is getting a potter, getting a glass blower, getting um, uh, anything that requires people to work with their hands. Also, we have a videographer, a photographer, and an artist on board that's willing to teach those resources back to not only active duty, but their veterans and their family members as well. Um, we just had a discussion with Greg Weber, the Fayetteville Arts Council uh, director, and they got multiple grant opportunities for interacting with active duty component elements and their, their family members. So we're looking at getting some possible grant funding from the city to try to help people explore this as an arts, as a modality and stuff like that. So we're, we're getting in, we're tying in our fingers everywhere. We're trying to spread our roots. Um, we're just making sure that we're not moving too quickly because if we move too quickly and, and the program falls on its face, it can be a huge detriment to its growth. So we're just kind of taking it slow and seeing what God gives us in, in natural timing and just being patient. It, it sounds like you're, you're well on your way with it already. It's, so. I, it's just, it's it, well, it's kind of gained a life of its own. I'm just kind of <laughs> nurturing it along every now and then I got to feed it like a puppy, but okay. it just kind of follows me. <laughs> that, and that's how, you know, well, where can people, I, I want to start with how can people find out more about artisan outreach and what you're doing with that and how maybe they can help you or uh, spread the word, whatever that looks like. So we have an email. It's um, outreach at ballishwoodworks.com. Um, but they can also go to our website, www.ballishwoodworks.com forward slash outreach. And you'll find out a little bit more about what woodworking has done for me. Um, I think we put it a lot more simpler and to the point than what we talked about tonight. Um, but it's, it's a really quick glimpse into what we're doing at the Artisans Outreach and what we plan to do. And there's a contact us down form at the bottom of that. You can fill that out. Um, if you know anybody that's in the Fayetteville area that wants to explore their creativity, that's active duty veteran, or even a spouse of either one of those or a family member, a child member, and they want to learn woodworking, they might want to learn leatherworking, reach out to me. I'm, I love to teach. I love to pass on my trade. Um, it's, if I don't, then it's going to die. Mm. And where can they find if people want to purchase products that you've built or pieces if, that you've built? Well, I hope everybody here becomes interested in uh, purchasing <laughs> some of our great products on our website at www.ballishwoodworks.com. Um, that's our, that's our, 
landing page. From there, you can go to our store link. You can go to our projects page and take a look at through some of our stuff. Our Instagram feed is uh, also looped into the web page as well, so you can keep up to date on some of our most recent projects. Um, if you want to follow us on Instagram, it's Balish underscore Woodworks, uh, and on Facebook, I think it's just Balish Woodworks. I've had an infatuation with cutting boards for about a year now, and <laughs> your boards are amazing. Because I, I think my cutting boards around naming of um, all my end grains are named after officers. So we got the lieutenant, we got the colonel, and we got the general. And now we started making edge grain, just normal cutting boards where you like you would buy from a store kind of and we named those after the enlisted so we got the, the, the private <laughs> the special the sergeant and then we got the sergeant major which is the big big boy but i made my neighbor across the street one of the big general end green ones and she i showed up and her children were already fighting over who was going to get to take that cutting board i hadn't even left the house oh, they still have a relatively young mother and they're already talking about who's going to take this it and so the minutes. mom is like well i feel bad but i feel great i don't know <laughs> Yeah, we, we used eight different species of lumber in that. Purple heart, yellow heart, granadillo, red marble wood, walnut, maple, cherry, and shadua. So we wow. had eight different species of lumber, some from Africa, some from South America, some from domestic United States. Um, and it was one of the most gorgeous boards I've ever made in my life. I've, ne I've never looked at a board and thought like, I might tell them this one broke until I looked at that one and I almost wanted to walk across the street and be like, so I dropped your board and it broke. I'm going to make you another one, but I didn't. So oh, well, I'm definitely going to be putting um, products, uh, pictures of products that are on your side in when we promote this interview, because it is, it's, it's an investment. I still have a rolling pin from my, my great grandmother. So um, it's we an make those good, too. Yes, you have the the French rolling pins. French style rolling pin, no bearing, no no uh, rod going through the middle. Really easy to maintain. Um, they're really easy to work with. Uh, my wife has been using them for years. I haven't I haven't seen a normal rolling pin since I moved out of my mom's house. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and those are gorgeous. Everything on your site is absolutely gorgeous, and the projects that you share that you're doing with the live edge is very interesting and very beautiful Thank so you. those will be showcased Thank um you. one more time uh before we sign off tell people where they can find you uh you can find us on social media and um, instagram at balish underscore woodworks facebook balish woodworks or you can look us up on the internet at www.balishwoodworks.com that's b-a-l-l-a-s-h-w-o-o-d-w-o-r-k-s.com Perfect. Thank you so much for, for joining me. I, it was amazing beyond words for me. I really thank you so much. Thank you, Jacqueline, for having me again. It's been a pleasure. Have a good night. You too. Does your revenue grow by 20% monthly? If not, don't worry. Carbon Digital has you covered. Carbon Digital provides digital solutions that are designed to grow your business. A website is an asset to your business and should be the cornerstone of your marketing and customer outreach. The empowerment specialist, Byron E. Whiteley, out of the UK, says that Carbon Digital has superb service, understanding, transparency, and is swift to respond with a brilliant outcome. Contact Carbon Digital today to get a free audit of your website. 
and take 10% off of your services with code ANBRY. That's code A-N-B-R-W-Y. You can reach Carbon Digital at jared at carbondigital.us or directly by phone 980-269-0126.